Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible Chronological. I'm China. Today is the first day of December. Welcome. It is always truly so good to be here with you today. So good to be reading the word of the word to you and with you. And really, it's it's an honor. I love getting to do this. And uh, there is a little bit, <laughs> little is a generous word. There's a big storm happening behind me right now. So if you hear some crazy ruckus it is not elephants contrary to belief there's a pretty big storm happening and i'm uh shocked because <laughs> what's actually so funny is last week but uh, last week my i was telling my family i was like man i don't feel like we got any good storms this year and now the lord's like hey wait i got you <laughs> um but here we are we are in the book of first corinthians with chapters 9 through 11 continuing continuing on with the voice translation am i not truly free am i not in a mystery of the liberating king have i not personally encountered jesus our lord are you not my work my mission in the lord even if others don't recognize that i am his emissary at least you do because you are the seal the living proof that the lord commissioned me to be his representative let me speak in my own defense against those keeping themselves busy picking me apart. Have we lost the right to eat and drink? Have we lost the right to bring along our wives, our sisters in Jesus? Other emissaries travel with their wives, and so do the brothers of our Lord, not to mention Caiaphas. Is it just Barnabas and I who have lost the right to earn a living? Is a soldier in combat required to pay his own salary? Who would plant a vineyard and not enjoy one grape from it? would care for and nurture a flock but never taste the fresh milk these ideas aren't based on merely human notions the law says these same things in moses's law it is written do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out your grain is god's concern here limited to oxen or does he speak here ultimately for our benefit these things were written for us so as the plowmen plows and the worker gathers, they can labor with the hopeful expectation that they, too, will share in the good harvest. The same principle applies here. Is it too much to ask that we would be compensated materially for planting life in world-changing spiritual realities? If you have rightfully supported others, shouldn't we deserve your support even more? But we have never insisted on this right. Instead, we would rather put up with anything than to put some obstacle in the way that prevents even one person from experiencing the good news of the anointed one. Perhaps it has escaped your notice that leaders and priests of the temple make their livings off the temple and that those who tend to the altar eat their dinners from part of the sacrifices. So it shouldn't be a stretch that the Lord has arranged for preachers of the gospel to make a living by those who have embraced and been liberated by the gospel. Despite what I've said here, I have never staked a claim for such things, and I have no intention to start now. That's not why I'm writing. I'd rather die than have anyone, including me, invalidate my right to boast. You see, if I preach the good news, it's nothing to brag about. This urgency, this necessity that has been laid on me. In fact, if I were to stop sharing this good news, I'd be in big trouble. You see, my story is different. I didn't volunteer for this. Had I volunteered to preach the good news, then I would deserve a wage, a reward, or something. But I didn't choose this. 
God chose me and entrusted me with this mission. You're looking for the catch. I know you're wondering, what reward is he talking about? My reward, besides being with you and knowing you, is sharing the good news of the Anointed One with you, free and clear. This means I don't insist on all my rights for support in the good news. That also means that I'm free of obligations to all people. And, even though no one except Jesus owns me, I have become a slave in, by my own free will to everyone in hopes that I would rather that I would gather more believers. When around Jews, I emphasize my Jewishness in order to win them over. When around those who live strictly under the law, I live by its regulations, even though I have a different perspective on the law now, in order to win them over. In the same way, I've made a life outside the law to gather those who live outside the law, although I personally abide by and live under the anointed one's law. I've been broken, lost, depressed, oppressed, and weak that I might find favor and gain the weak. I'm flexible, adaptable, and able to do and be whatever is needed for all kinds of people so that in the end, I can use every means at my disposal to offer them salvation. I do it for the gospel and for the hope that I may participate with everyone who is blessed by the proclamation of the good news. We all know that there's a race. All the runners bolt for the finish line, but only one will take the prize. If you run, run for the prize. Athletes in training are very strict with themselves, exercising self-control over desires. And for what? For a wreath that soon withers or is crushed or simply forgotten. That is not our race. We run for the crown that we will wear for eternity. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't let my eyes drift off the finish line. When I box, I don't throw punches in the air. I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after all this, after I have brought the gospel to others, I will still be qualified to win the prize. I wouldn't want you to be ignorant of our history, brothers and sisters. Our ancestors were once safeguarded under a miraculous cloud in the wilderness and brought safely through the sea, enveloped in water by cloud and by sea. They were, you might say, ritually cleansed into Moses through baptism. Together they were sustained supernaturally. They all ate the same spiritual food, manna. They all drank the same spiritual water, flowing from a spiritual rock that was always with them, for the rock was the anointed one our liberating king. Despite all of this, they were punished in the wilderness because God was unhappy with most of them. Look at what happened to them as an example. It's right there in the scriptures so that we won't make the same mistakes and hunger after evil as they did. So here's my advice. Don't degrade yourselves by worshiping anything less than the living God as some of them did. Remember it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and then rose up and dance and play. We must be careful not to engage in sexual sins as some of them did. In one day, 23,000 died because of sin. None of us must test the limits of the Lord's patience. Some of the Israelites did, and serpents bit them and killed them. You need to stop your groaning and whining. Remember the story. Some of them complained, and the messenger of death came for them and destroyed them. All these things happened for a reason, to sound a warning. They were written down and passed down to us to teach us. They were meant especially for us because the beginning of the end is happening in our time. So let even the most confident believers remember their examples and be very careful not to fall as some of them did. 
Any temptation you face will be nothing new, but God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. But he always provides a way of escape so that you will be able to endure and keep moving forward. So then, my beloved friends, run from idolatry in any form. As wise as I know you are, understand clearly what I am saying and determine the right course of action. We give thanks and share the cup of blessing. Are we not sharing in the blood of the anointed one? We give thanks and break bread. Are we not sharing in his body? Because there is one bread, we, though many, are also one body since we all share one bread. Look no further than Israel and the temple practices, and you'll see what I mean. Isn't it true that those who eat sacrificial foods are communing at the altar, sharing its benefits? So what does all this mean? I'm not suggesting that idle food itself has any special qualities, or that an idol itself possesses any special powers. But I am saying that the outsider's sacrifices are actually offered to demons, not to God. So if you feast upon this food, you are feasting with demons. I don't want you to involved with demons. You can't hold the holy cup of the Lord in one hand and the cup of demons in the other. You can't share in the Lord's table while picking off the altar of demons. Are we trying to provoke the Lord Jesus? Do we think it's a good idea to stir up his jealousy? Do we have ridiculous delusions about matching or even surpassing his power? There's a slogan often quoted on matters like this, all things are permitted. Yes, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permitted, they say. Yes, but not all things build up and strengthen others in the body. We should stop looking out for our own interests and instead focus on the people living and breathing around us. Feel free to eat any meat sold in the market without your conscience raising questions about scruples because the earth and all that's upon it belong to the Lord. So if some unbelievers invite you to dinner and you want to go, feel free to eat whatever they offer you without raising questions about conscience. But if someone says, this is meat from the temple altar, a sacrifice to God, so-and-so, then do not eat it. Not so much because of your own conscience, because the earth and everything on it belongs to the Lord, but out of consideration for the conscience of the other fellow who told you about it. So you ask, why should I give up my freedom to accommodate the scruples of another? Or, if I am eating with gratitude to God, why am I insulted for eating food that I have properly given thanks for? These are good questions. Whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink or not, do it all to the glory of God. Do not offend Jews or Greeks or any part of the church of God for that matter. Consider my example. I strive to please all people in my actions and words. But don't think I am in this for myself. The rescued souls are the only prophet. Imitate me. Watch my ways. Follow my example, just as I, too, always seek to imitate the Anointed One. I must say how pleased I am to hear that you remember me in everything and continue to hold on to the traditions I have passed on to you. But it is important that you understand this about headship. The anointed one is the head of every man. The husband is the head of the wife. And God is the head of the anointed. Knowing this, any man wearing a covering over his head while praying or prophesying in your gathering disgraces his head. Jesus. On the other hand, any woman, I mean, of course, a married woman, not wearing a veil over her head while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. Her husband. 
It wouldn't be much different than if she walked into worship with her head shaved. For if a woman isn't going to be veiled properly, she ought to go ahead and cut off her hair. But if it brings shame to the woman and her husband to have all of her hair cut off or her head shaved clean, then by all means let her wear a veil. Here's the distinction. Man is created in God's image and for his glory, so he should not cover his head. But a wife is the glory of her husband. She ought to be covered. Man, you remember, was not fashioned from the body of a woman. But a woman, though she was sculpted by the hands of God, was fashioned from the bones and flesh of man. Furthermore, don't forget that man was not created for woman. Woman was created for man to be his helper in everything. This means that a wife should wear a veil on her head as a sign is under authority, especially when gathering in the company of heavenly messengers. Regardless of how it began, husbands and wives should recognize they are not independent. For just as woman was pulled from the side of man, man is pulled from the womb of woman. In a similar way, all things and all people share the same ultimate source, God. Judge for yourselves. When you gather to worship, is it appropriate for a woman to pray to God without covering her head? Consider the ways of nature. Doesn't nature itself teach you that a man who wears his hair long invites shame and dishonor to cover him? But doesn't nature also teach that when a woman has long hair, it is her glory? It radiates her beauty and acts as a natural veil. If you feel like debating more on this, just know that we, along with the other churches of God, have adopted the same custom. On this next matter, I wish I could applaud you, but I can't because your gatherings have become counterproductive, making things worse for the community rather than better. Let me start with this. I hear that your gatherings are polarizing the community. And to be honest, this doesn't surprise me. I've accepted the fact that factions are something are sometimes useful and even necessary, so that those who are authentic and those who are counterfeit may be recognized. This distinction is obvious when you come together because it is not the Lord's Supper you are eating at at all. When it's time to eat, some hastily dig right in. Well, look, some have more than others. Over there, someone is hungry, and over here, someone is drunk. What is going on? The self-centered meal is what you want. Can't you eat and drink at home? Do you have so little respect for God's people and this community that you shame the poor at the Lord's table? I don't even know what to say to you. Are you looking for my approval? You won't find it. I passed on to you the tradition the Lord gave to me. On the same night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread in his hands, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Keep doing this so that you and all who come after will have a vivid reminder of me. After they had finished dinner, he took the cup and in the same way said, This cup is the new covenant, executed in my blood. Keep doing this, and whenever you drink it, you and all who come after will have a vivid remember of me. Every time you taste this bread and every time you place the cup to your mouths and drink, you are declaring the Lord's death, which is the ultimate expression of his faithfulness and love, until he comes again. So if someone takes of this bread and drinks from the Lord's cup improperly, as you are doing, he is guilty of violating the body and blood of our Lord. Examine yourselves first. Then you can properly approach the table to eat the bread and drink from the cup. 
because otherwise, if you eat and drink without properly discerning the significance of the Lord's body, then you eat and drink a mouthful of judgment upon yourself. Because of this violation, many in your community are now sick and weak. Some have even died. But if we took care to judge ourselves, then we wouldn't have to worry about being judged by another. In fact, the Lord's hand of judgment is correcting us so that we don't suffer the same fate as the rest of the rebellious world, condemnation. From now on, brothers and sisters, this is what I want you to do. When you come together to eat at the Lord's table, wait for each other. If someone is hungry and can't wait, he should go home and eat. In that way, your gatherings won't result in God's judgment. The rest of the instructions I have for you will come to wait. We'll have to wait until I come. So in the last chapter that we read, Paul is talking about what he wishes that he could give them applause for, which is such an interesting way to say I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> but he does he's saying that, hey, like I hear that your gatherings are polarizing the community. And that doesn't even really surprise me. And he's like, I've accepted that factions are sometimes useful and even necessary and could be counterfeit. Um, but what he's saying is like, listen, this distinction is obvious when you come together because it is not the Lord's Supper you are eating at all. When it's time to eat, some hastily dig right in, but look, some have more than others. Over there, someone is hungry. Over there, someone is drunk. And so I think if this is a metaphor, I can't quite say what I think he's metaphorically speaking about, but I think maybe it is matter of fact because then it leads into the Lord's uh, table, the Lord, the, the final supper, or the last supper, the final supper. Um, but so he, what I think is, is really being talked about here is, hey, like, you know, self-centeredness, selfishness, selfish motive, selfish ambition, whatever form of it or different uh, phrasing of it is really the root of it is pride and being like okay I'm going to make sure that I'm taken care of before I'm going to make sure that others are taken care of and that's not what Jesus was about nor was that even his heart or something that he could have chosen um, but even to his last supper he was saying as Paul is saying, as I, I pass on to the tradition the Lord gave to me, when he's saying, this is how you should do communion. You guys are having a meal together in the name of the Lord, and you're not even remembering the Lord's table. You are just more concerned about who can eat and who gets more and who can drink and who can drink more and to have plenty and just being selfish. But what he's saying is, listen, when you're when you're gonna gather and you're gonna eat, this is the tradition that should be passed down to you for your meal times. And when you come together and especially in the name of the Lord. And so um, this is the tradition that Paul is giving to uh, the people of, of Corinth. And so, this is, we read this story not too long ago, right? At the Last Supper where Jesus is breaking bread and he says, drink this, all of you. And uh, this is my blood poured out for you. And like, could you imagine 
being there and hearing these words for the first time and you're like, wait, Jesus, did you really like slash your hand? Like, am I really drinking your blood? Like, wait, what? Can anybody confirm if this is wine before I drink? Like, <laughs> I saw this video. Sorry, I'm not trying to laugh, but I, I saw this video not too long ago. that was like, Christians do crazy stuff. Like, we're claiming that we're drinking the Lord's blood. Kind of weird. <laughs> but truly, what Jesus was speaking of, we know what he's, he was speaking of. And taking him, remembering him. We have elements to remember him. And so that we may quite, like, I think it's okay to be uncomfortable with the elements being his body and being his blood because that was shed. It was broken for us. That's the reason why we partake in it because he paid that. He partook in it so that we can partake in it. And you know what? If we're uncomfortable with eating a cracker and some grapefruit juice or some wine, I'm like, we couldn't even handle the sight of the cross we couldn't even handle the fact that like that was what was going to come for us that would have been our death but he took that in place of us and so this is the tradition that is getting passed on and i just encourage you like let's take communion together so if you want to pause and go get elements or if you have elements around um i I'm not home, but I always have a, lo a loaf of sourdough and I think I have some organic sangria <laughs> in my fridge, but I think it would be so sweet to take communion together as a community. Um, I know that maybe not a lot of us are in a church community and um, to take communion corporately, but you know, Jesus took communion with 12 and I think we could all take community, our communion together and it be community and it be just as powerful. So if you have elements, great. If you don't, that's also okay. Um, but I just encourage you to reread your text if you have it, or just to pull it up and just reread it. Um, whether it's the scripture that we read from today or the scripture in the gospels um, where Jesus is saying these things for the first time that we would have heard it, that maybe have a little bit more detail but what if we could remember jesus the night that he was betrayed the fact that he took bread and he gave thanks like he he gave thanks for his body like if the bread is his body that he's breaking for all of these people including us he's giving thanks for us he's giving thanks to god for his own body that's going to be broken and he said, this is my body broken for all of you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for the remission of sins. And I just imagine like all of the disciples, like these grown men passing this cup around, knowing like, could you imagine Judas who's taking these elements, knowing what he's already done or knowing what he's about to go do? Like he leaves this and goes and betrays Jesus. Like, how? I'm so confused by that, you know? That he sat there through all of this and then was like, yeah, that was pretty cool, but man, I could really use some more money in my pocket. Like, what? 
But I know that this was, this had to be done. This was the prophecy that was fulfilled. So maybe if it wasn't Judas, it's probably going to be somebody else. But what I love about communion and the Lord's table, the Lord's, the final, <laughs> the final supper, the last supper is that Jesus included everybody. And I love, even in the scripture that we read about today, Paul is saying, basically like, do this the right way. Do this with remembrance in your heart. Do this with reverence in, in your heart with the Lord. And really do this with the utmost respect for the Lord and have no hatred towards anybody else. Have no ailment against anybody else. And like, I wanna be real with you, that's really difficult. Like, it could be a really long time before you take communion again. You know, like I've heard people say, um, like in churches, like, don't take this until you've like, um, it's not like you can't take this until you've made every wrong right or you forgive those people. Um, but I just want to say, like, I think it means well, but that's also not in the Bible. <laughs> um, Jesus didn't say, everybody forgive everybody real quick. And then when you get all your stuff figured out, you may take this. No, Jesus said, take it. All of you, even Judas. And so, yeah, I think that we should come around the Lord's table with softened hearts and realize, hey, like my ailment with you, my issue with you in the grand scheme of things, like, let me get some perspective from the Lord. Like, maybe it's not as big as I've been meditating on it or just marinating in this. Like, maybe it's not this. Like, maybe I need to leave this at the feet of Jesus. Maybe this can die as he died. Maybe I can choose forgiveness. You know, like, let it be a stirring moment, but you don't have to not, you don't have to wait to take the elements before you get everything sorted because you may never take communion again. And that's not the point. The point is to do it in remembrance of Jesus. And so remember, as you take your elements, that whatever it is that you're walking through, maybe it's a place of wrestling with faith. Maybe it's the, a place of wrestling for trust and belief or hope or um, whatever it is, fill in the blank. May you know that Christ died for you. He died so that you could have life and life more abundantly. And so how do you want to spend that life more abundantly? Or are you even living in the abundance of it? So I encourage you to, to really take some time and reflect and to take and eat of your elements. <laughs> I've been saying ailments and elements too much. Um, and yeah, just to have an encounter and experience with the Lord and let that let that be your daily bread as you take your bread and do this in remembrance of Him. Hi, DABC family. This is Rachel. I'm calling from the UK. Um, a little backstory. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, um, so sort of very familiar with the Bible in that sense and church, um, but left um, in my late teens and have really walked my own path ever since. I felt very compelled last December to do the Bible in a year. I didn't have a specific reason for that at the time, but I just felt compelled to do it. And I found you guys. And um, God has used your ministry, China and Jill, to open my heart to Him. For the first time, I've been 
really and truly in relationship with God. And for the first time, I've truly understood what it means to be surrounded and protected by God's grace, His willingness to forgive and His constant love. Thank you, DABC family, for being there. Thank you, Jill and China, for your wonderful, wonderful ministry. I am excited to do it all again next year. Have a great Thanksgiving. Take care. Hey, everyone, it's Whitney. Um, just wanted to let everybody know that I hear your prayers for me and my kids, and I'm very thankful for them, and thankful for the ones I don't hear as well. Um, I know they're working, and I know God's working. Um, as you continue to pray for us, um, my son is 16, but he um, has autism and still looks at Christmas through the eyes of a child. And with the losses that that I've experienced, I find it hard during the holidays to find any of that joy anymore. So I pray that, or I ask that you pray that, if you don't mind, that God just helps me find that joy. So that way that my hurt and my pain and my grieving won't ruin this beautiful time of the year for them. Thank you all. Good morning, TABC. Just want to come on and say happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear China. Happy birthday to you. And many more. Thank God for you every day. Thank you that you started the daily out of your Bible when you were a child and you were so faithful to keep it going and even to add your mom. I think you guys are a wonderful family and I hope you have the most blessed, wonderful birthday with your family um, that you have started now. Thank you again for always keeping us going here and reading the Bible for us. I can't do without you guys because I don't see very well. So I just really, really need you guys. And I just am so grateful and thankful. Somebody told me all about Daily Audio Bible. Happy birthday, China. Love you. Bye.